Hello and welcome to the Writing Talk podcast with me, Mikey Campling. This is episode 31 and after a quick skip through any bits of news I might have, we'll get into the main topic, which this time is all about the difference between showing and telling, which is in response to a, a listener question. And I don't think I have a writer's toolbox for you this week, so that will take us to the end. Welcome to the Writing Talk podcast, the show that helps you to build your skills as we go on our writing journey together. Okay, well, what have I been up to since the last week? I'm still um, powering through one of my sci-fi humorous novels, my Brent Bolster Space Detective uh, books. That's going pretty well. Lots of um, sprints of 35 minutes uh, that seem to work really well for me getting through that. That's the word count is getting to that point uh, in the novel where it's just starting to add up quite nicely and it's taking on a bit of momentum of of its own, which is a nice thing to try and achieve. It can sometimes feel a hard place to get to. It's just powering through those first sort of, I don't know, 10,000 words, maybe a bit more. You know, after that, it starts to um, start to get somewhere. Um, Terry Pratchett and I went to see give a, a talk way back early on in his his early writing career. I remember him saying um, that, that writing a novel can be a bit like um, a hang glider, where you're at first you're just running along the ground in this quite clumsy way with a great big load of equipment strapped to your back, and then after a while you sort of um, you take off, you know, that you catch the wind and, and you soar away. I might have mentioned that on the podcast before, because I just think it's a really good, a good quote. And uh, so many of um, so Terry Pratchett's things are very opposite to, um, to to the world of writing today. He had a lot of uh, very interesting things to say on the subject. So that's kind of uh, hopefully where I'm at at the moment. Things things are getting going. And I am still bashing away, um, despite having a, a sort of horrible problem with a tooth recently. I've, <laughs> Managed to more or less catch up with my strategy of, or my schedule really, of uh, producing content. So things are happening. I've had to put quite a few hours in to catch up a bit. But um, yeah, I'm producing a it's a serialised bit of fiction and blog posts, um, one of which kind of features photos. One is um, a blog from a written from a character in one of my books. And they're coming along every week and I'm managing to keep on top of it just about. Um, so the the serial fiction didn't draw to a close as I thought it was going to be. You know, some things you think, oh, this is going to be, you know, a few thousand words. And before you know it, you've, you think, oh, I've gone over five. Now what's happening? You know, and uh, so I don't know, it's going to be about 10,000 words or so by the time it's finished, but it's quite a nice short story length. So that's about it for my news. Um, I had a question on the Facebook no, actually, I think it was on my author page, my Michael Campling author page. Um, after my live, a live stream that I did, somebody said, uh, could you speak about the difference between showing and telling in writing? And I thought that was a good bit of material for the podcast. So we'll crack on with that. Okay, so what is the difference between showing and telling? Why some people say you should always show rather than tell? Why does it matter? What can we do about it? Let's have a think about it and see how far we get. So it's one of the more commonly touted bits of advice that you should show rather than tell. But like any bits of advice, it it only goes so far. 
and you should never really follow any one sort of dictum really slavishly. Um, think about economy would be my first kind of point about this. So try and tell as much story as you can in as few words as you can. Now, sometimes it's just quicker and it's easier, it's more effective and efficient if you just tell the reader what is happening, what is going on. Um, you know, I once had a, an editor, if you're working with an editor, you should only work with somebody who will do a sample edit without charging you anything. You know, they may ask for a few thousand words or a few hundred words, but send them something just to see how you get on. And this is somebody I didn't end up working with because I had a character at the beginning of, um, I think it was at the beginning of Tr The Trust, which is a sequel to the Cheat Code book. And I, I wanted this scene of the character to be looking in the window. And so I said, you know, he, he looked in this shop window and it was important to the development of what happened next that he just looked in that because it was all uh, virtual reality gaming equipment. And because that's in that sort of a near future scenario, uh, those books are set. And he, um, the point is he looks in and he normally would have gone in, but he's changed his ways. He's given all that up. So he's not going to go in. He's going to walk away. And the, this editor said, oh, this is, this is, you know, telling rather than showing, uh, have him, you know, catch his reflection or something and, and then look in the window. And I think, no, that's not, you know, he, he looks in the window. That's it. I just need to say he looks in the window. We, we don't need to, to dress that up. It's just a little bit of action. So it, it's not that, it's not getting down to that thing that you're not allowed ever to tell anybody anything. Um, that will get you, get you nowhere. So what are we really talking about? One of the things you've got to watch out for is what some people might call stage directions. So this is where you're handling the tricky business sometimes of getting people across a room or into a room, through a door, on a chair, that sort of thing. Now, it can be a bit of an easy trap to fall into where you're doing this excessively. And in your mind, as you're playing out the scene in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, they're going to look at each other at this point. So you can have everybody turning, everybody looking, um, just as, as a, a sort of a gap in uh, a bit of a placeholder in break up a bit of dialogue kind of thing. You've got somebody turning, standing, sitting, uh, walking, pacing, that kind of thing. And it can be a bit, a bit jarring or a bit irritating for the reader. It can slow the pace down. So um, those things can be important. And sometimes you do need to say that, you know, a character perhaps can't see something that the other character's seeing. So to avoid a head hopping scenario where you suddenly jump into another character's point of view, which can also be a bit muddling for a reader in many circumstances, uh, you just have somebody has to walk across the room or stand up or lean over or something so they can see what is uh, exciting the other person's attention. So, you know, you do have to do these things sometimes. Also, little visual clues as to what a character might be doing are very, very useful in, but, you know, used carefully and in moderation, like most things in writing. Um, so a small action can really speak volumes. So perhaps somebody looking away from another character, they could be lying, they're trying to, you know, conceal the expression on their face, or maybe they can't face a person or a situation. Um, perhaps they've just had a row or perhaps they've got some kind of internal conflict or something like that. So small actions that people might, uh, might take, you know, whether they're 
banging their hand on the desk or something, um, they can be quite useful. And they might be linked to your underlying kind of theme of your piece, which will hopefully be emerging as you write. So has somebody got a, a conflict that they've buried for a long time or re, an emotion that they've repressed, something like that? We can give all sorts of little clues to that um, through, you know, these physical actions. So don't dismiss everything as as a stage direction or these little things that people might do. I think actors call it a bit of business, don't they? They say does a bit of business with something, you know, a bit of business of tying a shoelace or something. So, yeah, that's, that's quite a nice, nice way of thinking about it. Um, these little bits of business can be useful. If not, if they're padding, they're getting in the way, consider ditching them. But, you know, it just as with anything, just view it. If it reads quickly, if it reads well, if it flows from, you know, paragraph to paragraph, from sentence to sentence, uh, all is well, I think. Um, if you have to get people from one place to another and you don't, give some kind of direction it can give the slightly unsettling idea that the character has sort of teleported or suddenly magically flitted from place to place so what are we really talking about when we're talking about showing versus telling um if you're talking about characters feelings now i think those shouldn't really be spelled out at any point really um i don't like to particularly i'm reading read that a character is unhappy or conflicted or tense, literally spelt out. You know, I, I don't particularly enjoy seeing that. I think it's a missed opportunity. I don't particularly like to write like that. I I think it's worth considering. Again, bearing in mind economy, um, can we just show an emotion through something like, you know, the dry mouth, the pounding heart, this kind of thing. And it gives you a bit of a chance to play around with the character because, um, how does the character react to that situation? How tense are they? How excited are they? How happy are they, etc.? Um, can can all be done through um, these little little visual type cues, and then that I think is showing they're showing they're expressing their emotion. And that those are good good places to show rather than tell when it's anything emotional or to do with feelings. I think. Uh, bear in mind though. This is a good place to play around the character because people are notoriously bad at understanding their own emotions and motivations. You know, they see each other as in one way and the world sees them in another. And so as the writer, you get to play around with that a little bit. So remember, people in what they say and the way they behave are unreliable and sometimes untruthful. Um they will say and act in ways that are contrary to the way they're actually feeling or that they might actually like to say or act. They will do things contrary for, to protect themselves, to protect other people. And readers know this. You know, we, we all know through our interactions with real life people that, that people are, are tricky and that they're often very, um, very not self-aware. So it's a good chance to pick up some little clues there, throw down some clues and uh, let the readers go with it. And little places for contradiction can be nice. So the character is saying that they're absolutely fine when somebody asks them, but you know, their, their knuckles are white as they're gripping the steering wheel or something. And that tells a different story. Um, just perhaps there's a, you know, a tightening of the, the muscles around their eyes or something as, as they say that they're fine. Something that we know 
the characters not telling the truth to the other one and perhaps not to themselves and not admitting to themselves something. So when you're doing your showing, um, have, a, have a play around with it, experiment with it. Just It is a good opportunity, I think. One thing that people will fall back on or use, I should say, perhaps nothing falling back about it really, it's just one thing people often use to show rather than tell is the dialogue. And that's great almost all of the time, but not if it becomes what people call on the nose. On the nose dialogue, if you're not sure, this is my interpretation of it anyway, it's one character who is really over explaining something to another. So perhaps they are um, spelling out the plot. Perhaps they're spelling out their motivation or their state of mind. Actually, you know, stating that they're unhappy or they're, they're whatever. Uh, it's, it's quite easy to drift into that kind of thing when you're, you're thinking, oh, I must show rather than tell. And then you end up with all this on the nose dialogue. And, in real life, when people are speaking, they tend to be quite vague. They tend to be quite muddled. They have an emotional level going on. There's a kind of a subtext level in, in what people say. Um, they speak in part sentences. You know, they, they very rarely spell out the name of everything. You see it in, in dramas and things that people will insist sometimes on uh, trying to talk down to the audience really because characters will give everything its full title, you know, watching a TV show or something. And they say, instead of saying, just go to the thingy or go to the shop or something, they give it its full title, you know, so I must, uh, I must visit, um, you know, Jensen's supermarket or something. And people wouldn't necessarily spell out the name of the shop that they're going to. It, you know, think they might have a shared understanding of with the other characters so I'll just go and you know just going to go and grab some milk or something they don't <laughs> you know uh, so so don't over explain things through the dialogue while I was sort of knocking this podcast together it did occur to me that there are times when people are deliberately repressing emotions and speaking in a more professional way uh, in and I can imagine things People might spell things out quite calmly. Say you're doing a police procedure or something, so you might have a, a pathologist going over the post-mortem with your detective or something like that. You can imagine then, or it, it, people will be talking quite a detached professional way. And similarly, you know, a lawyer or a doctor or somebody like that might be speaking in a, in a different way. And that might be a chance to kind of get some points across. But even then... Um, if they know each other, do they work together a lot? Have they met together a lot? There is an emotional kind of subtext going on. So, you know, uh, doctors and people in the medical profession often develop quite a um, quite a dark sort of humour that most of us probably wouldn't wouldn't appreciate if we knew it was going on. You know, so a way of getting through the stresses of their job. Um, a pathologist might share a, a kind of dark joke with a detective if they work together. You know, as, as they're as they're dissecting the body, perhaps there there's other things going on. Um, they might know each other outside of work. They might mention that. So, you know, do really use dialogue to its fullest. If you're using it to do your showing, it can be great. It can be very economical and an interesting way to get all kinds of undercurrents and and 
not spelt out themes uh, built in there. And to go for that, if you can, rather than squander that opportunity on a bit of quite dull exposition where one character is saying, yes, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just this happened, then this happened, then this happened because of this. And it's a bit, you kind of think, oh, I don't even want to, I don't want to read that. People are thinking, I don't want to be, just can't be bothered with it. Um, skip over it. So, you know, really, really use it. Put those, put those hints in there about what's going on. A word about genre here, because this comes into play. I think, from what I know in my reading anyway, that some genres, the readers seem to be more tolerant than others of um, bits of telling of detail. Um, so I'm not really a big fantasy reader. Though. I'm reading uh, some at the moment. I'm reading Ursula Kayla Gwynne's uh, Earthsea books. I've got a sort of an anthology of the first four books, apparently, in that series. I don't know how many more there are. Um, and I am guessing from that, because I know it's a, a well-loved piece of writing, I, I'm liking some of it, but readers of those that kind of epic fantasy are probably quite happy to plough through the kind of the world building, because that's part of it. If you're a big fantasy reader, I think you're probably really into that, all the details of who goes where and for how long. Um, not really my cup of tea. I'm not saying it's not well written. There's some really nice things in there. There's some beautiful passages and and some lovely ideas and themes uh, are great. And I can see why people like like that. I, I really want to read it because I think as I get through it, I'll, I'm getting progressively into it. Uh, but I do find my eyes glazing over a little bit when I find somebody going from place to place to place and nothing actually happens on the way. Um, they're just there and it's what um, some people call shoe leather scenes. That's a phrase that Sean Coyne uses in the story grid. I don't know where he got it from. Maybe he invented it. I don't know. But you can imagine what it means that it's kind of people going from place to place. Uh, it's a shoe leather scene if nothing else happens. Now, I think really, whatever genre you're in, if we're going to have um, somebody going from place to place, let's have some kind of interaction some or some action, something significant happen, maybe some dialogue as it goes on. If the person's on their own, maybe they have a thought process, which is interesting, and just liven it up a bit with some of those things. Um, they don't have to have to be huge, but something that makes it worth reading, I think other than the world building aspect um, would be great. Just you, you're really getting into tell uh, territory for too long. And after a while, after a paragraph, people are really going to start to uh, be find their eyes skipping over passages, I think. So we don't want to write stuff that people are going to skip over. We don't want to write stuff that people are going to uh, forget about instantly. I don't think anyway going to go to the effort of writing something, you know, make it something they're going to enjoy, something they're going to remember, something that is going to take them onto the next page and the next and the next, you know, something that's going to be engaging in some way. And if we have the character going through a thought process on the journey or meeting a stranger or something like that, great, you know, let's, it just breaks it up, gives it a bit of interest, perhaps it reveals something, perhaps it ties into your theme, whatever that is. Worth, worth, thinking about one sort of little clue to watch out for if you're using a phrase like you find yourself typing there was or there were um think about whether you're starting to just do a bit of quite dull kind of telling because the verb to be is 
quite a weak verb, really. Um, so if you, you know, on a hill, there were six standing stones and you just tell people that, yeah, okay, all well and good, might be an economic way of doing it. It's not exactly engaging, is it really? So you, we could switch it around so the, the stones become the subject of the sentence so that the six stones stood on a hill. Bit of a tongue twister, that actually. Um, so at least they're doing something and then you, you can imagine expanding that sentence. Um, giving a bit more of a description of the hill and the name of it. And, you know, perhaps there's some interesting aspect you can bring in. But it is still kind of telling. So let's do a bit of showing. Let's switch it around and we'll put a, so we'll put a character in there. So we've got a viewpoint to work with. And then we'll put some action in there. So we've got something else to work with. So I just scribble down this idea to... to get over the in, this introduction of these stones on a hill. So she ran to the hilltop, her breath tight in her chest. Her leg muscles burned, but she didn't slow, didn't stop until she reached the summit and the six standing stones loomed from the early morning mist ahead of her or something like that. See where I'm going with it. Bit of a you know, first draft effort. But, you know, plenty to work with. And it could be edited, it could be improved. And yep, we're letting people know there's these stones on a hill. But I'm not just telling you that they're there. I'm kind of weaving it into the character's experience of their world. So why is her breath tight in her chest? Well, is it just that she's a bit, you know, tired from running up the hill? Or is she tense? Or is she afraid? See, if she was if she was just tired, I'd probably have used a different phrase, wouldn't I? But the idea of your chest being tight signals to people subliminally, perhaps, that, that she's tense, afraid, something like that. Why is she even running? I mean, what's the hurry? Uh, it's, it's early in the morning, so why go there at that time? And what's so special about about this these stones that the character is bothering to run up the hill to them in the first place? You know, why is she herring up the hill first thing in the morning? Um, those are all questions that the reader might have in their mind, and that's what we want. We want to be constantly putting questions into the reader's mind and letting them work it out for themselves because that's really what people enjoy. So my rule of thumb is in my writing is to try and stay in the moment as much as possible. I know I've rattled on about this before, um, but it's worth sort of bringing up because it is kind of my mantra really is to stay in the moment. So we're using thought, we're using dialogue, we're using action, rather than to spell out a state of mind. And we're we're getting under the skin of your characters and we're making it happen now for that character. So you might be writing in the past tense, but we are putting the character into that moment and exploring what they do. We're exploring their reactions, what they say. We're giving clues as to how they feel about it. And we're really trying to get under their skin, putting them in into a situation, seeing how they react. And that way we're kind of offering a little doorway into their souls, into their very existences. And when you do that, the readers will walk through that doorway for themselves. That's what they want to do. They want to be shown the door and then they want to go the journey, complete the journey on their own. They don't want to be pushed through it. And that's kind of, for me, the, the essence of the difference between showing and telling is just, you know, we're saying, actually, on the other side of this curtain, I've got something for you. Do you want to know what it is? 
and then letting them go. And we're not saying on the other side of this curtain, there's, you know, a magic lamp. <laughs> See what I mean? We've just got, you know, there's a, beyond the curtain, there's a, a little noise coming or there's a little light glimmering around the edge of the curtain, something, you know, that's just giving those little hints. And as you get closer, there's, there's a strange smell. What's that? What on earth is on the other side? You know, what could be through there? And then somebody screams. Ow! <laughs> so, you know, we, we can play around with it. It's just all about painting that picture, pointing people towards somewhere, letting them finish the journey themselves. So when you're playing around with your characters to, to generate this kind of little element of suspense as, as we go through, uh, don't be afraid to um, let your characters have questions that you can't answer and they can't answer. It's all right for your characters to feel and to express the thoughts of what the hell am I doing here? That is absolutely fine. Or they, you know, they've got trepidation. They're on edge. They're, or they're very nervous. They're excited. You know, if, it's, if it could be like in a romance, you could imagine that they're really, they really don't know. How's, how's the date going to go? You know, whatever. Um, it's okay for your characters to be in suspense as well. It's a, another way of thinking about it. It's all right for them to be confused. It's great because we relate to that. It will make them relatable if they're going through the emotions that we go through. Again, we're not spelling it out. And if you think about some of the most quoted pieces of literature in the history that have ever been quoted, they're probably monologues given by Shakespearean characters where they are, they're asking themselves questions and they're saying, you know, is it a dagger I see before me or to be or not to be? You know, these are all the, the questions. Um, is it you know, Lady Macbeth wondering how the hell she's going to cope with what she's the consequences of what she's done? It's um, it's great. It's good stuff. People love that stuff. Why do they love it? Because they like to see somebody um, going through a bit of turmoil and, and unsure of themselves. So telling at its worst will spell out, you know, Brian was unhappy. He'd always wanted such and such, but now he felt this. You think, oh, so what? That's the end of the story. Whereas um, if we know that Brian drummed his fingers on the desk and stared out the window, you know, he hated, he hates his job. You know, something. It's, we can make it, we can make it work that way. So uncertainty is fine. Complexity is fine. Generally, understatement is stronger than overstatement. Less is often more. Just all those little hints rather than spelling out. On the other hand, the flip side of that coin, because there always is one, I'm afraid. If we are really trying to just show things, watch out that you're not just skipping ahead and you're kind of skipping to an outcome. You, you can cheat uh, readers of scenes if... Um, if you skip to the end too much. So um, just watch out for that a little bit. It, it can happen that, um, I'll tell you, this is sounding a bit vague. So I'll give you an example of why this, this came up. So I cut off one scene and this is what I work in progress. So I cut off one where two characters are facing each other and it's a comedy, remember? So one of them's armed with a sort of alien ray gun. Another is armed with a sort of a, a pencil. So it's a very sharp pencil. It's a metal pencil. Um, so the, and he says, okay, we've both got weapons. What's going to happen? 
And I was going to cut later. So cut there, leave people hanging on a quite sort of comic bit of suspense and then go ahead. And then I was started typing away thinking, I'm just going to show people what's happened by having guards run into there and there's no sign. Um, but they know a weapon's been fired in there. And that's what I thought that'd be quite neat. I was trying to be maybe a bit clever, a bit too clever. The, then everybody, the readers, think, ah, he's, he's obviously shot him and tracked the body off or whatever. You know, I was going to make it clear that's what happened. And I thought, no, that's really kind of cheating the reader of that bit of enjoyment. So what I did is I skipped to another character who's like, it's on a space station, this. And so a character who's already known in the story is up on the bridge and an alert sounds to say there's been this unauthorised weapons discharge somewhere in in the space station. And so we have the build-up, what's happened. Uh, he sends the troops in to go and find out what's happened, you know, and they all go marching off. And so I'm, I'm, I then take a step back and then build up to that moment from another character's point of view. So rather than just having a sudden revelation and telling people that, even though I was going to try and show it and let them work it out, it still wasn't as good as having a build-up. I hope that's a little bit clear of what I'm trying to say. Um, so don't sort of be tempted in your rush to show people and let them work it out themselves. Don't be tempted to skip ahead and miss out intervening bits. Can you look at it from another point of view? Can you have somebody else's experience of it? Um and let us work it out then from somebody else's experience? Or is there some other way of just building up to that moment afresh? If you see what I mean? If we get too much into telling, it really takes us away from that slow build up. And we're not, you know, we're not constructing a police report here. Uh, it's, it's a narrative. It's all about telling that story through the eyes of various characters and the whole. I hope I haven't made that more complex. Um, the idea is to pick these ideas apart a bit. But as I keep saying on this podcast, none of this really is advice. It's it's all kind of, let's pull it apart and kick it around a bit. And if you have different ideas, that's great. I'm very happy. That's wonderful. If you think I'm totally wrong, that's wonderful as well. But if I made you think about it a bit, that's good. How does... how does what we're talking about apply to you? Other things that you know about in your own writing that you tend to do. We all have them, I think. We all have these things where we find ourselves slipping in into things. Like I was just saying, I found myself slipping into um, sort of skipping ahead a bit too much and cheating the reader of a bit of a build-up they could have enjoyed. Um, I know sometimes um, I can do too much stage direction in, in there, so I have to watch out for that. They're all things that I, I have to constantly sort of monitor. When you get better at it with practice, you it gets to the point where you, the first sentence that comes into your mind, your mind rejects it and it's not what you actually type. Or you get partway through the sentence and you think, ah, no, and you go back and rewrite a few words. And so you're constantly kind of, rejecting your first idea and writing your best idea instead. And that saves a lot of editing later if you can do it while you write. Um, yeah, first ideas are fine. Best ideas are better. <laughs> you know, the, the modified versions are worth getting down. Okay, 
I think that is probably about it as far as I can get. If you have comments on this, it's great to have them on the website at writingtalkpodcast.com. Comments are always very welcome. Questions, ideas, suggestions for future episodes are very, very welcome, either in the comments on the site or in the Facebook group, which you can find easily from the site. It's called the Writing Talk Podcast um, Workshop, I think. It's uh, easy enough to find that way, but the best way is just to go to writingtalkpodcast.com and link from there. You can find it there. And shares and things are very much appreciated and uh, reviews of podcasts and so on. We do have a Patreon site. Um, really helps if uh, helps me to justify the time and helps me to keep producing them and improving. I think it's nice to be getting back into doing these once a week. And like most things, if you do it regularly, it, it improves. So I'm hoping that I can keep the momentum up and that way it'll get better and better as we go on. And we'll see how it develops. But it's it's uh, it's great when you ask questions because then I can I can get to work on it rather than working in a vacuum and thinking what the heck are we going to discuss this time. So I hope that's that's made you think a bit about the difference between showing and telling and and when it works and when it doesn't work. Rather than think of it as a problem, it really is. Uh, it sounds a bit trite, but I think this is all about opportunities. So if you find yourself telling, you think instead of telling yourself off think, okay, well, I'm kind of missing an opportunity here. What can I put in? What can I put in there instead? Is it a bit of action? Is it a bit of dialogue? Is it, you know, a bit of a, some clue that I can give? Is there a, a nice little build-up I can create? Are there any little clues that I can drop in at this point? Can I foreshadow something? You know, make it work, make it work. Make you, each word work, make each sentence work, make each paragraph work, and the whole book will work. If, if each one is effective and each one leads to the next, then you've got a novel that reads well and will be enjoyable. Um, anything where you have to sort of clamber from one sentence to the next, not working so well. So as you do that, uh, you know, we're leaving a, leave a trail of breadcrumbs for clues for people and see if we can get them to follow it and uh, misdirect them by all means, take them in one direction and take them in another. That's all good fun. So let's leave the trail of breadcrumbs and where that, trail ends that's up to us so i will sign off there because i don't have a writer's toolbox i'll see if i can find something for next time but as always keep tapping away keep scribbling keep bashing the keys keep writing and while you're doing it keep smiling so thank you very much for listening and goodbye